Hi. Hey guys, my name is Chanel Perillo, and I'm a casting director and producer based in Los Angeles. I've cast shows like Drag Race, F Boy Island, The Real Housewives franchise, and Million Dollar Listing, to name a few. I want to welcome you to Shut Up Chanel, a podcast where I take you through my LGBTQIA journey, while each week I get to chat with the queer royalty that helped shape me. Buckle up, because I know you're going to want to tell me to shut up. What is going on? <laughs> you look gorgeous. There we go. Oh, we're going to get set up. She's in her <laughs> New York City, I'm guessing, apartment. All right. Are I'm we? In my brother's room. <laughs> oh. <laughs> They're cleaning the windows in my side of the apartment. Mm -hmm. So I could hear the. I was like, oh, God, I can't. I was like, no. I was like, Coco's gonna kill me. So I was like, so I called my brother. I was like, listen, I gotta film in your room. He was like, listen, don't show my sneakers. I don't give a fuck. I was like, okay. Oh my God. Well, it's like we're in bed with Jiggly. You look beautiful. Thank you. I gotta do laundry. So I was like, might as well. <laughs> oh my God. Today's my laundry day, too. Okay, wait. Before we get going, let me give you your intro so we Thank can get you. this going. She is the undisputed empress of comebacks, the sorceress who transforms shade into a symphony and the whirlwind of joy you'll want as your life's permanent plus one. Bow down, motherfuckers, to the monarch of merriment, the one, the only, <laughs> Jiggly Caliente! <laughs> What's up, Chanel? Oh my God. Are your boobs getting bigger? No, are they? Are you sure? Yeah, I feel like I just have a good push-up bra on today. So no, no, when I first met you, they were not like that. And then when we went to Vegas, they weren't that big either. I just feel like they're growing. Well, when I started season four, I had no breasts. And then you did. No, I got my boobs done the summer after your season wrap. No, I but you the way you say it, you act like you had pancakes like in the front. You were fine. I you just it. didn't have LA boobs. That's what it is. You didn't have LA boobs. <laughs> LA. You know, when I first became friends with Manila, I was like, you know, I'm really thinking about getting my boobs done. And she was like, Well, you're in LA, you got to. And I was like, What do you mean? And she's like, if you were in New York, we would go shopping for a Chanel suit, but you're in LA, so you gotta get your tits done. <laughs> Do you know she asks me every year? She's like, is this the year? I go, no. Uh, I'm like, I'm good. Oh, my God. Well, do, may I call you Jiggly? Yes, you may call me Jiggly. <laughs> Jiggly and I go back so far. It's over a decade now, girly. But I want to know, tell the listeners, how did you and I meet? You casted me. <laughs> okay, well, so You were my... Like, like, that's just face back. Like, you are the reason. Uh, you, I were, I don't know if it was you that called Manila and asked Manila that you were looking for a sassy big girl. And 
and Manila was like, well, I got the perfect one. She's she's a chubby girl. She's brown. She's Filipina, but she also thinks she's black. I was like, what? Well, I remember Manila telling me that because I honestly had no interest in doing drag race. I, so when Manila was like, they presented this to me, I was like, and then Sahara was like, what's the worst that could happen? They say yes. I go, true. And I was like, I, and I kept thinking, they're not going to fucking put my ass. I'm like, I'm an escort. I was like, there's no way. I'm like, my story, I was like, I sound like a, a nightmare for television. <laughs> so I was like, oh, no. I was like, I'm good. That's why I was so honest. Cause I was like, oh, they're not gonna put my ass on. Like if I like if I keep telling the truth, they're not gonna put my no, that was honestly the mistake I made. I should have just kept and be like, no, I'm just jolly little bitch <laughs> New York. Do you know that we've been friends for so long now? And I this is the first time I'm hearing that you were an escort during the casting process. <laughs> you honestly didn't know. I I was Okay, who so let me say that to them? <laughs> I told one of the casting people. Well, I will tell you what I was told. I I do remember when Manila su suggested you to me, and I'll set the stage for that. So, and when she did suggest you to me, she was like, "But like, she identifies as a woman." She's like, "But we don't need to tell anyone that." And I was like, "I will keep it our little secret." And so. <laughs> That was the only tea I got. So when it came time, so I told the listeners before, like season three, I worked on set and then I got the opportunity to help with casting for season four. So I was so excited. Like I had already built this like kind of like plethora of queen friends because I had done drag you and drag race, got through season three. <laughs> and when it came time for season four, this was during a time where remember, like there wasn't Instagram, like there was only Facebook. Yeah. And going and going to drag shows and word of mouth. So when it came time for season four, we were we were told that we were allowed to reach out to all the season three girls and ask them if they had like suggestions, like who's the like who should we <laughs> keep our eye out for? And so yeah. Manila and I had gotten like close, and so I was like, I'm gonna call Manila. She'll know everyone in New York City. And we had like started getting submissions, but we weren't. I and I don't even know if I was just looking for a plus size girl in a sense that like I wanted. I think maybe, we, you know, like plus size wasn't necessarily something I wasn't looking for, but I was really just like looking for more New York City queens and someone that was different that wasn't just like every other queen. And so when I, yeah. I and I think I was like, I, I want another like fun Asian queen, like, like I wanted Asian representation. Like yeah. Manila brought to the show. And <laughs> I remember hitting up Sahara and Manila and they were like, you got to talk to Jiggly Caliente. I was so like, when they told me, I was like, y'all are so stupid. I was like, they're not going to put my dumb ass on television. I was like, girl, I'm like maybe bad girls club kind of vibe. I was like, I'm not drag race. I was like, yeah, I was doing pageants, but like my out outside of my pageant persona in drag I, I was like a little hood rat <laughs> I, remember, <laughs> I remember you the whole time during filming being like I was I was made for bad girls club and you'd be like Coco can you get me on bad girls club after this like you wanted to be on bad girls club so bad because 
I felt like that's my vibe. It's just on Drag Race. We're not allowed to hit nobody. Do you know how many times I wanted to slap the shit out of Sharon? Mainly that night when she was like, oh, so you just don't, like, the Kai Kai thing? I wanted to smack the shit out of her. I was like, you were making it bigger than it was. So I was so mad at her. I was like, ooh, I wanted to hit her. And, but we're not allowed to. Because I was told I would get this card. <laughs> Wait, so for the listeners that don't know what we're talking about, what are you talking about? What was the night you wanted to slap Sharon Needles? The night, remember when we were talking about Kai Kai and I was like, oh, dating another drag queen, that was that's disgusting. Honestly, like now that I look back at it, though my verbiage really sucks. Like I'm just so blunt sometimes I don't think. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and for me also being a trans girl, so for me dating any like feminine kind of entity would just not be my vibe. It wasn't like, I, I think of myself as a straight girl. So I don't think of myself as gay or so. And it it was one of those instances that I answered it so honestly and didn't think twice about the repercussions of it. Mm -hmm. So I was just like, Oh, and then, and then I realized my two best friends are in a Kai Kai drag relationship. So here goes Mom now saying that I look like the only hypocrite. So I was like, oh, fuck. So when everything started to like click in my head uh, and then Sharon kept pushing. Mm-hmm. It was doing that. I was like, oh, I'm going to slap the shit out of her. <laughs> <laughs> That's why when Fifi went after her, I said, go get that bitch. I was so mad. I was just like so angry. Like, because I knew that I was going to end up. And like, I remember Sahara telling me, she was like, Jiggly, don't go up in this television show acting a fool and saying some crazy shit. So I knew that I was like, oh man, I was like, this is going, this isn't going to end well. And then my, the way I explained it, I was, because I was so angry, I couldn't think straight. For me, personally, for me in general. I said, I sounded so ridiculous. I was like, oh, Lord. I was like, this ain't going to end well. This ain't going to end well. I was like, I, I need to beat this bitch's ass because that's the only way I can feel better about the situation. <laughs> I am dying with all this like new knowledge that you've bestowed on me. And I knew this was going to be the catch-up I needed. Because I couldn't tell you the stuff like... And we never really had the chance to actually, like, really, I couldn't really tell you everything because you were working on the show. Like, even when I was sneaking out, you, I, I could not have told you that. There was no way. You would have gotten fired if I told you I snuck out. And it was like, but it wasn't your watch. So I didn't do that to you. I was nice. I didn't do it to you. And then Willem just came and stole the show and you didn't even have to worry about it. <laughs> but why did she have to do it after I got eliminated? Like, damn, bitch, you couldn't just do that on our episode and our lip sync? Fucking bitch. I was like, damn, I should have just, like. <laughs> well, let's, let's, like, let's go back. Let's go back before I asked Manila for suggestions and she brought mm-hmm. me, she brought me Jiggles. And I used to call you Jiggles. Jiggles. And now you don't jiggle no more. You honestly, I mean, I still jiggle. I still jiggle. It's just <laughs> not a lot. It's just not. It's no longer a lava lamp, but it's still <laughs> like a happy sack. Okay. 
I love hockey sacks. Okay. <laughs> so let's take me back. So when you say you were an escort, like fill me in, like, what is your backstory? What kind of got you into the drag scene? Because I know that you were performing at Escalita, mm-hmm. but a lot of trans but, girls, a lot of trans girls performed at Escalita. But Escalita was only paying us a hundred dollars a night plus tips. That wasn't shit, girl. Come on. Like who can make money out of that? So for me, and then when, after my mom died, I had to do some major adulting. Mm-hmm. Because bills had to be paid. Well, let's and tell, we went, let's, yeah, let's tell the story. So what brought you, <clears throat> did you grow up in New York? Did you grow up with your family in New York? What brought mm-hmm. you to New York? So, okay. I was about 11 years old when we migrated to New York, mm-hmm. to the U.S. I was born in the Philippines. So we came here when I was like 11 years old. And then like just lived in New York my whole life. So I, you know, I've honestly been in the same apartment since I was like 11 years old. We've lived in this apartment for like almost 30 years, like oh, 32 years, actually. Like my my home, like my mom and everything, like it took time for her to get to be cool with the trans and the gay and the drag and all that stuff. It took her a second. It wasn't all of a sudden my mom was this welcoming like mom that was just like it's okay but mm-hmm. my, the main thing that my mom always told me is you're my kid I love you mm-hmm. I will never let you fail or you like you know like she wouldn't throw me out she didn't do none of that she was like I'm not going to quit on you because you're gay or you're trans or even though the first was like, I, I I also came out to my mom in increments. So first was gay. Because that's what I thought it was. And how old, and how, then, how old were you when you came out as gay? 16. Okay. Like literally the day after my 16th birthday, I told my mom. And she, she was thrilled because it was like right after Thanksgiving. She was just like, oh, great. This is the kind. And I was like, I honestly, I should have waited until after Christmas. I think I would have gotten better gifts that year. But, but my mom, like, she it, she took it took her a second. Like, she took me to church, everything, all that stuff. They thought they were going to pray the gay away. They thought, mm-hmm. and, you know, because we're super, like, we're super religious. You know, and, and I will say this, like, I know that my what my mom did, but she was trying to understand me. And see if it was a phase. Like, she just wanted... Because my mom had gay friends. So it's not like she didn't know, you know, what the life was like. She was a New York City gal. Yeah. But also, my mom is a nurse. So in the 80s and the 90s, like, the AIDS epidemic was huge. So that was my mom's biggest fear. So she was just like, I don't want you to die. Mm -hmm. And I was like... In my head, I'm like, I'm a kid. I'm not thinking about that shit. Like, I I remember telling my mom when she said that to me, I was like, Mom, I haven't even kissed a guy yet. Like, what are you talking about age? I was like, relax. Like, you know. And but now as an adult, was... but now as an adult looking back, does it make sense to you? Like, she was a nurse. Yeah. Like, that would that. I, yeah. That, watching, That's like. That's why. That's why I never, 
ever gave my mom shit for it because I knew what my mom was dealing with day in and day out. Because I also remember when she first moved to the U.S., being a nurse from the Philippines, she couldn't get the kind of jobs that she wanted as a nurse. So they stuck her in an HIV ward. So that was the only thing she saw. So, and then here comes her kid that comes out and tells her, mommy, I'm gay. Of course, my mom's biggest fear is going to be what she sees at work. Yeah. So I I couldn't, I remember like crying to my brother about it. And he's the one who kind of explained to me. He was like, you got to understand, mommy's a nurse. That's all she sees is people that get sick and die. He was like, so you can't, when the AIDS epidemic was still so huge. Like this is like, I came out to my mom, what, 1996? So that, around that time, granted, it was getting better, but mm-hmm. it wasn't really, you know what I mean? Like, they just weren't talking about it as much. Mm-hmm. But my mom already saw all that beforehand, so I, I don't blame her for being mm-hmm. afraid and worried for me. So, yeah, and then when I came out as trans, she that made sense to her. That is the funniest thing, because she was like, oh, this makes sense. Why do you think it made sense to her? I guess because growing up, I, the way I, I am, mm-hmm. and she just kind of was just like, mm, my son is a little sweet. <laughs> yes. But it wasn't like, but when I told her, I was like, mommy, I don't feel like I'm, I don't feel like I'm gay. And then my mom goes, are you sure? Because this is like, I was like 25, 26, 25. And my mom was just like, Okay, so you're straight. I go, yeah, but I like men. She was like, wait, make that make sense. I go, I don't think I'm a boy. That's when she was like, uh, okay. And I told her, I was like, I don't feel right in this body. I don't, I was like, I don't feel like I'm, yeah, I just can't. And then I remember crying to my mom about it. Like, I hate being a boy and I hate, when I get in drag, I have to take all of Like, I love putting it on. I hated taking it off. And I, like, for some reason, tra- being trans made sense to my mother. And that was easier for her to accept than me being gay or a drag queen. <laughs> and I was like, ah. you know, I, and then I remember just being like, wanting to complain about it. But my brother's like, you're an idiot if you complain about that. He's like, this is easy compared to all the other shit you've gone through. At least she's not trying to praise the trans away from you. Exactly. <laughs> she's like, she's like, I had a straight daughter the whole time. Yes. That so was that's, that's how was? she that's how she made it make sense in her head. Yeah. And then I was like, okay. And also probably my mom was like, oh, for fuck's sake. I'm like, I'm not dealing with this anymore. She's like, all right, whatever. Next, you're going to tell me you want to be a dog. I don't care anymore. Just live your life and be happy at this point. <laughs> so how, how old were you when you came out as trans to your mom? 25. Okay. And this was, yeah. and how old were you when you went on Drag Race? 30 years old. Okay, so you had like a good five years living as a trans woman before you. Well, okay, so I was just trans going on to Drag Race. 
Yeah. What a mindfuck for yourself. Oh, it was hell on earth. Because I literally, like, so when I turned 27, like the year 2007, beginning of that year, my mom was about to go into heart surgery. And I was just, like, I told my mom, I was like, listen, I think I want to just get rid of all my boy stuff. So she was like, she helped me pack all my clothes. She said, listen, just in case, we're going to keep this one box. And we kept the box and everything else we just donated. And she helped me do that. So I started living my life as a girl, doing all that. And then my mom had an aneurysm. And for like three months, she was in a coma. And then come August, it was done. So I lost my mom in 07, like August. So I literally just had months with my mom. And it just, it was a lot. It was a lot. And I felt cheated because it was just like, I felt like I just had months with my mom for her to get to know her daughter and everything was going well. And also like when my mom was prior to her going into surgery, I was always the one that was with her for all her checkups and all that. Like we were just, we were like thick as thieves. I was like Mm -hmm. the mama's girl. And since I was her eldest, I was always with my mom. So when she passed, it was just like, it was a lot, a lot for me. Like, I was also very dark because I wanted to be numb because all that pain, I just wanted to be numb. So like, there was a lot of things that I did and then bills had to be paid. So I just, everything was to make me numb and not feel pain. So I dove into drag. I dove into escorting. I dove into a little bit of drug use, not crazy, but mm-hmm. I was like just enough to get me like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just not thinking about the present moment. Yeah, I just think- so I would not feel. Well, and you like were young. Feeling how pain. Old, how old were you when you were seven? That? That's so fucking young. And like you know. I'm also the kind of the kid that, you know, my mom was still teaching me how to be an adult. At 27, yes, it sounds really... No, okay, you like, are still a fucking child at 27. I lost my dad at 37 and I was not ready. Like, there's still stuff that we had to do. I don't think anyone is ever ready for mm-hmm. death, no matter how planned or whatever. It, it, it's like, you're just never ready to let go. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. It's And there is no type of pain anyone can tell me like burying your mom or your... Like, I think the only equivalent would be burying a child. I don't think anyone would... I wouldn't even wish that upon my worst enemy, that kind of pain. Because it is crippling, you know, mainly when 
you're close to your mom or dad, like it is crippling. And there'll be days where I think I'm fine. And then like, I'm literally at a gig. And when I get back to the hotel, I'm literally crying in the shower. And, and it's like, and you never, you ne you can never prepare yourself for it. L listeners, me and Jiggly were supposed to do this on Saturday, but I, I thought I was being, I thought I was so strong. I made it through my dad's birthday. Like, which just like, I had like one cry in the morning and then it was like a beautiful day. And I was like, oh my God, like, look at you. You're so, you've grown so much since last year's birthday. Like, you're, you're good. And then I went to go buy a fucking new car. And for some reason, like car shit is always something I did with my dad. You know, I never had to get myself a fucking car. Like that was something my dad loved to be in control of. And I'm like sitting at the table and I just like lost it out of nowhere. And I'm like crying in this car dealership and being like, oh my God, I mm. thought I, I thought I was a strong fucking bitch. And so I called Jiggly and I was like, I can't do it today. And she's like, Honestly, it's my brother's birthday too. I'm emotional. So we decided to move it to today. But that's grief. Like a perfect yeah. example of it. It comes it can get to it. And like I remember we did that cruise. There was I talk a... about the I talk about the Alan Chuck cruise on this podcast every episode. That because fucking <laughs> I call it the drug the drag Amistad. I cannot stand that. Oh, I hated that like in hindsight it sounds like a really cool idea but the fact that there was no escape from it was fire fest it was fire fest on the water oh was like god almighty but <laughs> i remember like there was one night and thank god for manila and it sobered Manila up to it. She was so annoyed with me. After. She was like, God damn it, Jiggles. I was just like, there was a, this mom and her grown son. Asian mom and kid. Well, a grown adult. But she and him told me that me and Manila were like the reason for him and his mom to kind of bridge their relationship back because they were so estranged because of him being gay and him showing that there are other Asians that are going through that or like, you know, it was, it was sweet. But for me, a relationship with somebody's mother for me is like. That's, that's <laughs> when it gets you. That's see, it's like those like, moments. It, and you know, like it was right outside of that casino club thing. The discotheca. <laughs> the discotheca. And I remember just like, I don't know how many drinks I had that night. I know I did three bumps and I was just like, I still couldn't be numb. I was so mad. I was like, I had to cry. And Manila just saw me in the corner. She was like, what are you doing over here? And I go, and that's what I told her. And she, and I just, as soon as the last word came out of my mouth, fucking flood works. And I was just like, and Manila just standing in front of me going, what the fuck do I do? <laughs> and thank God, like, Manila was there because I was just like, 
And I remember I didn't want to cry in front of anyone. So Manila was like, let's go up to the to the pizza. Just go get pizza. Mm-hmm. And thank God it took them an hour to get us pizza that day because it was like, man, and the waves were making noise. So you couldn't really hear me boohooing. Oh my God. But yeah, I remember Manila was like, I'm sober now. Thanks, Jiggles. That's so crazy. And that's like, honestly, what it was. Like, I compared the cruise to like a meet and greet that just never ended. So like people, because that's what a meet and greet, a meet and greet, like you'll, you'll get like at a drag queen meet and greet. I feel like there's a mixture of like hardcore fans. There's like the people that just came like that are fans of the show. But then there's like people that are specifically there to tell you how you changed their life. And it's beautiful and it was at the beginning of drag race where it like you weren't getting those comments or dms it was like you would you would get that interaction yeah. at the meet and greet and and and, and that's what was the the brink of the show when it really was changing the way parents looked at their children yeah and i just remember like after like the that that cruise was like it was a lot but there was a lot of great things that happened in that cruise for me. Like I got to know other Rue girls and it was cause you know, like in the beginning I was only like stuck to Manila and Fifi. Those were like the only two that I was like really close to and everybody else. I was kind of like, not, I was cool with everybody, but I just I didn't feel like I could get close to anyone. Mm-hmm. Also, I didn't want anyone to know me like, the real me because I was just like I didn't know how some people would feel about me being trans because it was also the time where I was like I had to kind of I felt like I had to play a boy because Mm -hmm. it wasn't and it wasn't I I always reiterate this like I don't think it was drag race that made me feel like that it was the world it was the world. And Drag Race was just a product of the world. You know what I mean? Like, oh, as, yeah. as Drag Race evolved, so has the world. Yeah. And I, I, so when people were like, oh, you were, you were told not to be, I was like, no, I was hiding this myself because mm-hmm. I knew I was so early in my transition. Like, I was barely on moan. So I was like, oh, I, there was no way. I would come out and for let the world to nitpick every little thing about me and be like, oh, yeah, no. She- yeah, no, you were just discovering your womanhood, like, along with the audience. You know what I mean? And, like, you, yeah. you were going through puberty before everyone's eyes. And, like, the last thing a girl going through puberty wants is the world judging her. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Those are the awkward years. That's, like, your, your hormones and your, like, learning, like you're learning how to live as a woman. And and I remember like Jacqueline, she was my story producer. I remember how Jacqueline would, she was like, if you want to talk about this, we will treat this with the utmost respect. Mm-hmm. But I was just not ready to talk about it. Cause I was just like, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know, I, I didn't have the resources to be like, well, this is who I am as a woman. Because there were things that I was even in myself trying to figure out. Like, for me, I was like, okay, am I a girly girl? But there's a little bit about me that is so into X-Men, so into fighting games. So this is just like, it, like, the math wasn't mathing for me. Mm -hmm. And to what 
the world would think of a woman or a girl would be. I didn't know if I fit that mold. So I didn't know what to answer. So when, as much as I wanted to share, I couldn't because I didn't know what to say. And the last thing I wanted was to look like an idiot on Drag Race, even though I already ended up looking like an idiot on Drag Race anyway, for that <laughs> fucking post-apocalyptic. But, <laughs> but I mean, like, I, I just... I just wanted to, when it came to that part of me, I also didn't want to share because I wanted something that was still personally mine. I was always saying, like, you can have Jiggly. The world can have all the information they want about Jiggly. Mm -hmm. But Bianca is off limits. Didn't realize reality television doesn't work that way. You signed up for this. You have to let the world know who you are. Like, cause that who you are authentically is where people click with you. And I think that's one thing with a lot of my fan base from the show got is cause they literally saw me grow up on screen with them. I have the chills. Yeah. It's so uh, true. It's so true. Like, and the, if they, when, like, when fans tell me how much they tell me that, oh, I was a fan of yours in season four. I've I've seen you grow up and glow up to this beautiful woman. And I'm like, I I honestly did grow up in front of people. I a lot has changed since season four. I had to grow up. I had to and season four was a way for me to see myself through a lens that I was not ready for, but I had to see. Like I really like after season four, I went through a lot of like therapy after because like I was so broken and I didn't even realize how broken I was because I was just trying to numb myself for so many years and then here comes Drag Race I was like, literally projecting all of my frustration my insecurities everything was all on the table on Drag Race <laughs> I was but you know that's why I always say I'm thankful for Drag Race because it, it honestly changed me for the better. I don't know where I would be if I didn't get to see myself that way. What did you learn about yourself? I learned that I was hurt. I was really, really hurt. I was broken and I needed to find a way to fix myself and build myself back up so that I could feel somewhat normal and human again. I just didn't there was so much pain that I was going through that I was just masking it with like everything bullshit. on the outside. Everything on the outside. Yeah, and, it, and it's it's weird that when you wake up from a moment like that because I've had many times in my life. I feel like before before I started on Drag Race, I went through a period of that. Then I got lost in the drag world, and I let that be my my obsession attachment like it was like okay i'm just gonna this is gonna be my new world now and then life fucking happens you know and you kind of like and then i entered my 30s and stopped wanting to go out and stopped like having all of that to distract me and i was left to like sit with myself and yeah. was like who the fuck am i anymore you know like i've been i've been so caught up in like everyone else's worlds that i haven't like so this, the last couple of years have really been about like rediscovering myself. And that's why I want to do this podcast to like reflect back and like, just like 
go through my journey because there are there are so many of those moments where like you don't just sit with yourself and look at like how much you've just been numbing everything yeah and people forget like you know we're humans we evolve we we have to go through the motions and sometimes you have to face that mirror you do not want to face you know you just got to you have to it's to get to the next love like part in life you have to mm-hmm. you, there's some there's certain chapters that just gotta go like you just gotta close that chapter it has to end yeah exactly like me and <laughs> that chapter <laughs> has ended <laughs> no but we really we like grew the fuck up together we were both little fucking babies figuring life out when so after drag race i mean it's been a journey for you when did, are you still escorting when did that stop what no that, that that ended right i remember telling myself if this drag race shit doesn't work out like i'll have to go back but i remember i had my friends scrub all my stuff okay like so me. this is what i this is what because they do background checks and i remember uh-huh. i re, okay now it's all kind of coming back to me i remember i'll never forget the picture manila sent me it was the picture of you and i have to show it on the podcast but it's you're like a bird were you a bird a butterfly you're a butterfly <laughs> you're a butterfly and you were a butterfly and you and it was just like you just looked like a ball of joy and I'll never forget like Manila being like, yeah, she, you know, there might be some things you need to like keep hush hush. Like she lives, she lives majority as a woman. And, uh-huh. and for me, like I did kind of put two and two together, like maybe, but I didn't know. So, okay. Go back to your story. I just wanted a little side note. So I, it was honestly like up until the last, the, uh, the day before I left for filming. The day before I left on my 7.45 a.m. Southwest flight to Drag Race, I remember the day before it was my last client. And he was one of my regulars, so I, had, I, I saw him. And I still, I still, like, saw some regulars up until maybe, like, 2015 mm-hmm. so that's when it honestly just stopped stop but like i would you know but because i always told myself like listen if it, it didn't but i remember like sorry manila were like what are you gonna do if they ask about that i'm like i mean that is illegal so i can't talk about it so i was just like eh. i had my brother's friend basically make sure that anything that was of my escort name to be scrubbed somehow like find it delete it like make sure it like just dies in the dark web or whatever mm-hmm. and thankfully nothing was ever really found and there was one time that a guy said something to me that he was like i'm gonna expose you like some shitty fucking fan sent me this facebook message it was like a whole mess of shit. Mm-hmm. So that's when I decided I was like, I'm not going to let some fucking little bitch tell my story and not even tell it right. So 
And I remember that was the week that I ended up, it was around the same time I ended up doing Hey Queen. And that's when I literally just like, boom, said it out loud. Because I said it on a podcast. Yeah, that I was an escort. But I said it on a podcast, but I I didn't know that, like, how it would, mm-hmm. how it would go, how how far it would reach. But I knew that with Hey Queen, because I remember Johnny sending me an email and he was like, listen, Jigli, there was information that got to me. I would like to talk about it, but it is up to you. Like, I want to ask you if this is okay to talk about. And I told Johnny, I was like, honestly, Johnny, I'll let you know, like, right how now, yeah. How I'm feeling yeah. that day, how I'm feeling Yeah, that like, because, like, I told him, I was like, right now, yeah, but I don't know, because I also, like, my my brother kind of knew, Yeah, but I was he gonna, didn't. you brought up your brother, like, Yeah, because he stuff. didn't, like, he kind of knew, but he didn't, like, it was just never confirmed with my brother how I made money. My family, though, my, like, my aunts, my everybody they didn't know so that's one thing that was the conversation that i was i knew i would have to make Mm -hmm. before any of this actually comes out into the universe it i had ts madison on the pod and we like dived so heavy into this because it it really like it it's fascinated me for a long time because i've always said sex work is work i've always known it is I've always known that it's a, it's survival. I remember, Uh and the only reason why I challenged myself with this thought, like from an early age was because I remember like, I remember thinking like, it, it can't be a sexual thing. Like that's fucking weird, but that's like how society ingrained it in little kids was like, oh, these, you know, sex deviants or, you know, like just, just awful. Awful representation. Yeah, and people think that you get like if these certain type of dudes. No, it ain't. No. It is not. It, it is, is not, not pretty woman. It is not it pretty is woman. Not exactly. It is not that. I wish <laughs> it was that. I wish. It's, it's, it, it, it takes, it, it takes like, it's a last effort to live your life authentically. And it makes yeah. so much sense that it's like, wh- wh- how, how did, how did it work in your mind when it was like, when you were like, this is the only way I'm going to be able to, like, what was that conversation you had with yourself of this is the only way I'm going to be able to make money? Or did you see someone else making money and we're like, well, she pays her bills that way. I guess like this will work for me. Did it come from you thinking no one's going to hire me? Like, how did the conversation go with yourself? Before? I knew that getting a nine to five day job situation was going to be very difficult because I knew who I was trying to live my life to be mm-hmm. so I was like okay well that can't like that's gonna be fucking difficult because I remember when I applied for Drag Race I said that I worked at a movie theater I remember that too <laughs> but I mean I technically did even though I got fired from the movie theater uh, like a year or two prior to that but I just needed to put something down to make Why? it look did you legit. get fired did you get fired for being trans no I got, got fired because I was always late <laughs> 
and I would pay other people to do like so cleaning up at the end of the night I would always try to get out of it okay so I would be like listen I'll give you $20 just clean the the popcorn machine I don't want to do it okay so you put movie theater on your app and then what happened and then you know like all that I I had a friend and I mean, not had, she's still, she's still around and she's still my friend. Mm -hmm. She was the one who kind of like, well, listen, if you want to make a little money, I can help you out. You know, um, she was like, but she was very honest with me. And that's why I respect her so much because she was dead honest with me. She was like, this ain't cute. She was, don't, don't think that we're getting like the trade to come pay us money. She was like, trade ain't got no money, bitch. She was like, it's not going to be them. It's going to be the ugliest, oldest motherfuckers. Motherfuckers that look like Santa Claus are coming through here. And dudes that look like Al Bundy are coming through here to, to pay you for it. She was, it is not cute. And I was like, so I remember she made me, she not made me. She, she was like, you want to try it out? Uh, you know, she gave me a cut, blah, blah, blah. We did my first few were with her. Mm-hmm. She taught me the rope, you know, everything. Like, like I really, like, respect her for it. Yeah, she was your... Because she wanted to make sure that you were safe. And that's another thing that, like, it's... There's a sense of community within the sex work world. And, and yeah. That's, that's why I think sex workers and drag queens get along because they get the fucking hustle. And they get the... Yeah, it's community. a hustle. And she was always like, listen... <laughs> It ain't cute, bitch. Like, don't. She was like, don't think, like, even when I go and, like, when I do anything on my own, she was like, don't think that this is going to be like, there are going to be days where you book the hotel and it, like, there's just no fish biting. She was like, you're just stuck there. Now you're like stuck in fucking Scranton, Pennsylvania for a weekend and you only made $150 because mm-hmm. you only had one client. And I'm like, oh, fuck. And she was like, you can't be charging the way like you would charge in New York in like Scranton, Pennsylvania. But she was like, it was a hustle. And she taught me the hustle. She was like, you know, she was like, you're Asian. You're a chubby girl. She was like, there's a lot, like you can charge money for that. Like you, it's extra because it's exotic. And she was like, she was like, motherfuckers are racist. She was like, they're going to want you as a maid, as a nurse. She was like, they're going to want you with an accent. She was like, you got to play up the role. And she was always like very, like, girl, Isabella she gave was like me your every... older, She was like your older sister. Yeah. And the one thing I loved about her too is like, she never like took money from me mm-hmm. to be like, I mean, she would be like, oh, okay, pay for dinner, bitch. Like mm-hmm. that's the kind of situation it would be. But she wasn't like pimping you out. Hell no, no. That was one of the... If anything, she was like, she was like my PR agent because she was teaching me exactly how to do this. You know what I mean? Mm, well, and you would. David from PG takes more from me than she ever did. <laughs> Shout out, David. <laughs> but put it into perspective, like you had just lost your mom. Yeah. 
You were. I needed to make money. You had, just, you had just come out as a woman. You were trying yeah. to live your life authentically as a woman. You weren't going back. I think that's another thing that people don't talk about enough is like once you make that decision within yourself and you come out to other people, like there's not, you don't want to go backwards. And society, I remember looking at the box because I remember I told you my mom let me, made me keep one box. Mm -hmm. She said, just in case keep one box mm-hmm. and I was like you know it makes sense and I was like because nothing in life you'd never know the future you never know mm-hmm. whatever and my mom told me she was like I don't want you to make a decision change your mind and not be able to feel like you can't go back so she was like let's keep one box and let's see okay she was like you know we can keep it for a year or two whatever she was like, that's up to you. But let's just have one for safety. Okay. That's motherly. I love it. She's like. Yeah. But I remember after my mom died, I was so angry one night. I just chucked the box. Because I knew there was no going back for me. I was like, I have to. I had no other choice but to just live my life now. Because there's no, who else am I going to live my life for? Because for me before, it was like my life was just for my mom and my family. And then I was like, I for so long, I kind of like put things in the back burner because I was afraid of, I didn't know what my family would think. Mm-hmm. When my mom died, I was like, fuck it, fuck everyone. I was like, it's all about me. Mm-hmm. And you do have that moment during grief where you're like, it is, it is this freeing because it was. You've been th- like, you felt the lowest you've ever felt that when you get like mm-hmm. any bit of self-worth that you just, it's like. It's it. That's it. Fuck. you like, fuck everyone else's bad day. Like, I don't give a fuck anymore. Like, if yeah. I'm not, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, like you've been at your lowest and, and it's like mm-hmm. this, this, this lonely feeling that like is undescribable that like you feel like a part of you has gone. Yeah, and, so and, mainly and, with my mom, it was like, my mom was my life. Mm-hmm. Like, she was my real lifeline. Everything, like, any time that I was ever in trouble, any time I ever needed help, my mother was always there to kind of, like, soften the blow of right? life. Yeah, you be, yeah. and it's, it's those phone calls when you, like, are having that one day where you're like, fuck, like, I just want to talk to you for five minutes because you used to make me feel better. And now I don't have that comfort. So yeah. that's why a lot of times people find it, try to find it externally. Um, yeah. Because they're not like, getting you know, it like, inside anymore. And so it yeah, really is, like, you have to, you have to go through a whole self-love again journey and find your self-worth again. Because a lot of us place our self-worth on what our parents think about us. And yeah. it's like, as long as my dad, as long as my mom's okay with me, then yeah. I'm okay in this world. But once that's With taken the world, away, yeah. once that's taken away from you, it's like just up to you now. And yeah. that's a lot of pressure. Ooh, yeah. So I was just like, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> so thankfully, after all that, I was, and then I was also keeping my escorting from my brother. Because like any of like weakness or pain I was feeling, mm-hmm. I didn't want my brother to know that I was feeling it. Well, you're the oldest. For me, I had to be the strong one. I have to be strong. I have to be 
the one that's mature, the one that's settled in my head. I, I, I could, I, I couldn't even cry in front of my brother. That's how I was during my whole, my whole dad's sickness. Cause my dad had cancer. So it was like a slow process and like slow, but fast. But that's how I felt. I was like, I have to be the only one that's not weak. Like I have to even, I have yeah. to pretend I'm strong. Everybody else can cry so I can make them feel better. Mm-hmm. Like I was always, I always told myself, I'm like, if my brother needed me, I will be the shoulder for him. Mm-hmm. But I will never be the one to cry in front and ask him for his shoulder. I couldn't do that. Like, I was like, I need to be the big sister. I need to be the strong one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, and then, so there was all that that was going on. And escorting. And- so Drag Race kind of saved your life because who knows where you would have wound up without that platform. Well, because so the reason why also Drag Race was thrown upon me was because there was one night that something bad really happened. And I remember calling Sahara. And I told Sahara, don't tell anyone, but this happened. Mm -hmm. And I told her, I was like, I don't know what to do. I'm in Philadelphia. I'm by myself. I can't go to the police. I can't do this. I can't do that. Like, I just, I don't know what to do. Sahara was like, well, let me Western Union you some money, come back to New York, and, like, we'll figure it out or whatever. Basically, what happened was I was raped by a client. And on top of that, he stole my money. So all the money that I made that weekend he took from me so I was like fuck I didn't know what to do and you know I was I was scared and the only person I could call was Sahara because even Manila I couldn't like tell Manila like she didn't know all this stuff about me then like so it would have been a lot to unload onto her on top of yeah because like Manila and me were like the re- how me and Manila became friends was Manila Sahara and me were friends first. Mm-hmm. Manila came into the picture because she started dating Sahara, so that's how we became friends. And like to anyone listening, it's like when you're best friends with the one partner, you're not like going and spilling tea to their boyfriend. Like no, yeah. you, have to, you keep that. You keep that. Re- like they're like. The Batman and Robin, you know, it's like, yeah. like you weren't, <laughs> you weren't going to spill that tea to both of them. You, and deep down, you probably knew that like Sahara was telling Manila what she wanted to tell her yeah. know, about you. And I, I, I also didn't tell, it's not like I ever told Sahara, don't tell her. It was more like, I just felt more comfortable at the time with Sahara. Cause she's like, that's yeah. who I established my friendship first. Oh my God, do you know and that then, I stayed, do you, really pause break, but do you know that one I took right after Manila season, I went and stayed with Manila and Sahara together in, in New York? In the, the their, apartment their, on 114? Their little apartment where they shared, they yeah. shared a room with another girl and I stayed in that room with them for the weekend. Like, talk about how I used to just rough it. Like, I would just book a plane ticket to go stay with two drag queens in one room with them. But I'm really got, glad I got that time with Sahara. But continue. Yeah, and Sahara was like, so, and 
Yeah, I just remember Sahara sending the money. She was like, come back to New York. I can't. I got back. And, like, basically, I just nursed my wounds. Because I... How, how far was this before Drag Race? This was a, the year before Drag Race. Because oh Manila... Manila was all, filming. Because oh, it was same. 2010. No, Manila was filming Drag Race. Wait, and so after you were raped, I'm literally, this is the first time you've told me this. That's a lot. I mean, my... But that's part, and that's what a lot of people don't talk This about. is also, like, the part about, like, sex work where it is dangerous. Like, I like I was, like, I don't I ever want to romanticize this for people. The money's cute, the money's fast, blah, blah, blah. But there's a dark side to it that people always, like, nobody wants to talk about it because it's, it's trauma. And, you know, when that happened to me, I, I just remember like getting back, I was like, okay, well, I couldn't go home right away. And thank God Sahara sent me more than enough money that I, I was like, I stayed at a hotel for one night here in New York. And I was just like basically nursing my wounds, trying to get myself together. Cause I knew I couldn't come back to the house for my brother to see me. And, you know, it wasn't like there was, like, bruises or physical, whatever. Like, he couldn't see where my bruises were, obviously. He would but know. He would know. He would know that something, like, my brother would have said something bad happened if I would have came home right away. Mm-hmm. So I collected myself. And then I remember just, like, seeing Sarah after that weekend. And she was just like, are you okay? And I was like, nah. And ever since then, that's when Sarah was like, you need to get out of this. She was like, before something else happened. She was like, you don't know. She was like, Jiggly, that, she was like, that's like God looking out for you. And mm-hmm. thank God it's just that. She was like, you know, it sucked that it happened, but at least you're not dead. She was like, too many girls just die and nobody even know about it. And I was just like, I know, I know, I know. And you know, it was, and then Manila season aired, and then come the finale in New York. I was there. Raja, <laughs> Raja, Juju B, Manila, Sahara, cornered me, and was like, "You're auditioning for this." She was like, "You're auditioning for this." She was like, "Jiggly, this could be you." She was like, the world would love you. And then Juju B, who, when I first started escorting, I was using her pictures for my face. Wait, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> you were using Juju B's pictures from MySpace. From MySpace on your escorting profile? <laughs> Does she know this? Yeah. I told her when we were in Australia and she was like, what? <laughs> I was like, yeah, bitch. It was like wait, the beginning. It was like my wait, the first four wait. months of so me when escorting. You asked, when you asked your brother to scrub your escorting stuff, he was really scrubbing Jujubee's photos? It wasn't my brother. It was my brother's friend. Okay. But still, they were scrubbing pictures of Jujubee off the internet. Uh-huh. I am dead gone. Why did you use Jujubee's pictures? Because she, she has a round face. She 
gives the effect. And at that time, I was also only doing smoky eyes and a nude lip. And this was before FaceApp or FaceTube. Yeah. So, like, people were getting raw and real photos of you. All, yeah, all, so all we had were, like, shitty filters that we could put over, like, to give you, like, a super glow. Like, RuPaul's but, Yeah, one. I remember that. I, so, that was that. That's what it was. And then I also remember, like... That's the, my favorite part of this whole episode, was you used Jujubee's photos on your escorting. Yeah, I remember when Sahara came back from filming season two. Sahara told me, because she knew. And I thought, Sahara came back, she was like, Jiggly, you can't use that lady's pictures anymore. I go, what lady? She goes, the girl who you've been using from Boston. I go, I was like, so what? Like, she doesn't live here, she doesn't know. Sahara was like, Jiggly, she's a nice girl. Don't do that. I was like, how do you know? And that's what Sahara told me she did Drag Race. Wait, so you used her photos before even knowing she did Drag Race? Yes. Wait, this is the T of T's. How did you even have Jujubee's photos? Just from like being a friend My of face. <sighs> this is so T. It is pirate. Yeah. I, Just like, I, I was like, so what I did was when I was on MySpace, I was like looking for like Asian girls. Okay. Originally, I was looking at chubby Asian girls and none of them were given the effect that I wanted. Okay. But Jujubee gave the fucking effect that you wanted. You sure did. <laughs> and I was like, oh. So I also made sure that I only use Juju's pictures from like titty up because okay. she's not chubby, but Juju's face was round. So it can give chubby just, you know, like, I mean, she just had a neck and I did it, but it was close enough. I will say, I remember when we did your, cause back, back season four, it was, it was the beginning. And like, we were still kind of having to like piece together tapes because people didn't have the technology that they have now to like, that you couldn't record from your phone. Like we had Blackberries, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so it was harder to film your Drag Race audition tape. So people would send in like chunks of stuff. We would ask for photos of them. Like uh -huh. we, would, we would kind of have to do the editing because like people couldn't professionally edit at that point. And I remember you having a lack of photos. Yeah, because all my photos are like, Either and you had no boy photos, so you had to like. God. I remember, I remember making you take boy photos, and you had to like butch it up for me because you had no boy <laughs> photos. Oh my god! I'm and dead. Those clo the clothes that I was using were my brother. This is so t. Like this mm -hmm. is so t. And then when I got like, oh, how annoying it was for me to get cast on Drag Race was. Not only did I have to buy clothes. For Jiggly, I had to buy boy clothes because I was like, I can't go there in girl clothes. And then I remember there was times I had like a girl, like a shirt. And then Willem was like, why do you have a bra strap with your shirt? I was like, mind your business. <laughs> Fucking noticing everything. I hated them. Oh my God. Those bitches, every girl on that season noticed all of me and Kenya's femininity so fucking fast i remember when like because when we obviously we would change in front of each other like my male boobs were a little bit bigger than usual and they were like <laughs> yeah like are you on the moans are you on the moans it always used to be well, that like who's on the moans who's on well, the clocked it because me and kenya we had our little knot Mm -hmm. And then one of them, she would walk around the, the workroom going, I see not. And I was like, shut the fuck up. 
You and Willem, you and Willem ended up getting close. I feel like that became. I, a- yeah. Like Willem, I only didn't like Willem on the first three days. But when I ended up working with Willem for the wrestling challenge. The, I swear it was after the breakdown. I talk about it in Willem's episode, The Night in Denny's. I don't know if you remember that night in Denny's. No, that too. <laughs> but I also like Willem when, like, working with Willem in the wrestling challenge was where I, I got who Willem was. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't like, because he was telling me all, like, his work and whatever, like, it I, I, prior to that, it just felt like Willem was just bragging. Yes, but, and that and that is something that people will think. People will think it's like this, like name dropping. And I was like, but then when I was working with when I was working with Willem, it was just like, no, this motherfucker knows what he's talking about because he does television. Mm-hmm. So it's like he gets it. He, he knew what we needed to do. And he was like, this is going to be more impactful. It's a twist. But it was a lot. Like, Willem thought he was fucking Ryan Murphy <laughs> trying to do that fucking wrestling challenge. I, I don't know what kind of episode he was trying to film, but it was, like, compelling. And it, Willem had, like, everything written down. So ever since then, that's when I was like, oh, she's just not a bit that's just bragging. Mm-hmm. She's just proud of her work so I was like oh I get it and yeah that's why I was like, ever since then I was like okay now I respect you I like you when we talked on the phone the other day you were like we have to tell them this story about Drag Race what was it was it my birthday was it the night that we went to dinner Ooh, the your birthday dinner that I don't know how you finagled the situation that we were allowed to go eat outside of the hotel and we were at this, what was it? like, was it a Long John's or Longhorn, whatever the fuck it was. And it we. Was, it was like, a, it was like a, a chain restaurant, like a BJ's. I think it was like BJ's. Something like that. Let me it, paint it the like... scene. Let me paint the scene. So the show is so <laughs> different now. None of this is allowed. And a PA, <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely a PA, not. A PA does not have this power, but it was season four. The Queens, we had a dark weekend. It was like, so how it works is like with filming a TV show, like you could really only have people work like six days and then you have to take a dark day. And then sometimes they'll have like a weekend where there's like three days that are dark. And so yeah, the Queens it was a three-day weekend. It was a three-day weekend. The Queens just had to like stay at the hotel and they would get so bored and I was afraid, like, I don't know. I, w- I would get very invested and I would be like, what are they going to do for three days? And the season couldn't prior, go to the pool. they couldn't go to the pool. They couldn't do anything unless there was a supervisor. And because it was a dark weekend, like none of the PAs were working. So it was just going to be them alone at the hotel. It happened to be my birthday weekend. And I texted the EP of the show at the time. And I was like, listen, it's a dark weekend. Like, do you mind if like I go down to the hotel and I'll watch them for a day just so they could like get out of their rooms and I'll monitor everything. And maybe I could just take them to dinner across the street. And the, they were fine with it. They were like, as long yeah. as there's as long as there's no like show talk and like you monitor yeah. it and don't let them get drunk and keep us updated, like it's fine. And so I was so fucking excited. I like came to the hotel and I couldn't text you guys or anything. So I would just have to like come to the hotel and knock on your doors and be like, 
we can go to the mall today for my birthday. But yes, continue the story. So we get to the restaurant. We're trying to get seated. Sharon and myself proceed to go to the bar. We buy shots for ourselves first. So that alone was already not, not going to be a good start because we already had shots. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then we, we get seated. We go sit in the table. We order drinks. We're all, all, obviously we're all over 21. So we're allowed to get drinks. It's your birthday. And we weren't paying for it. So fuck it. We were like, duh, let's buy drinks. We ate. We sure fucking did. I remember I drank my drink. I had, I had two drinks. And then I don't know who was the one who ordered the shots. But I had those shots. And then I went back to the bar and got two more shots i was slot i remember and that i i remember being so confused because i remember someone being like somebody gave her brown like that was like a joke like don't give jiggly dark liquor yeah nobody give me brown liquor no one give jiggly brown liquor because she gets crazy and i remember at one point like you just couldn't stop laughing and i was like having a panic attack i was like oh my god like how am i gonna control like this grown like these grown adults at the fucking table then willem's sitting there telling me how she was gonna go spray tanning and i was like whoa i'm losing control i just wanted to have dinner for my birthday and so you're wasted sharon's like you know Buying Sharon shots. Was too. Sharon was wasted. Willem's talking Sharon about Sharon was like Sharon is a professional drunk though. Professional. There's a difference. There was a professional. I like... couldn't. I I was not. I was like I, I'm a lightweight. So bitch, I was fucked. Needless Are to you... say, we had a great birthday dinner. I can't believe that fucking happened. <laughs> and then you, I remember you just telling me you're like jiggly. You cannot be drunk. She was like, thank God we have a dark day tomorrow. She was like, Jesus Christ, Jiggly. Because I couldn't show up to, like, set, like, hungover. They would have been like, what the fuck happened? Yeah, like, you would have gotten in so much trouble. So I was like, I remember that everybody was just trying to get me sober up. So that, and like, so that by the time, like, the next day, so you were just like, she was like, you knocked on my door. You're like, are you okay? I go... I don't want to exist. <laughs> like, y'all just got me so, like, I mean, my hangover lasted like three hours. I was fine the next, like, by dinner, I was cool. Like, the next night, like, but I was just like, oh, man. if I would have had to film. Did I just spend like the whole weekend there? Like, what? <laughs> the yeah. Hell? Oh my God, because didn't we have a pool day? We did. Yes. We, and I'll never forget, like, that was the day I realized Latrice Royale had the best music taste I had ever met. Because I remember oh, we he... had Latrice's iPad out. That's uh -huh. when, remember, Kenya was walking around the pool with, like, her nipples covered with tape uh -huh. and a little bikini <laughs> bottom. And I was like, that's a woman. <laughs> like... <laughs> and I remember, like, they, I, I remember, like, having to buy swim trunks. And I was like, oh, I hate this. And I was with it in a t-shirt and everything. Because I was like, I am not showing off anything. Because I was like, I knew that, like, I was just, like, so insecure about my body. So it was just so bad. I was like, oh, no. And I was trying to deal with that fucking hangover. Thankfully, I was like, it was gone by the, oh, Lord. It was, those are the days. Those are the, the good those days. And then the remember when you guys days. took us to get milkshakes? 
at the mall across the street. And I let Dita buy new shoes or something because she like had broken all of her shoes. Yeah, Dita bought new shoes. Madame LaQueer! Madame, oh my God. Madame But that was also the day. So I will tell you this much. Ooh, Jeremy's going to kill me. But that's the day that Jeremy went to Kmart and bought a phone. Fifi? Mm-hmm. Got a phone at Kmart? Uh-huh. You sure did. Because he, he, it wasn't you that I was, think like, you, he, I think season four was the most problematic in all of Drag Race history. Oh, we were. <laughs> we were the reason why all rules became, like, like, became law. It was, before it was just, like, suggested. <laughs> Up until season four, the rules were just suggested. After season four, it was enforced. <laughs> it was new. It was, yeah, now you could only come with a certain amount of looks. But again, like, it was, like, it was the beginning of writing the blueprint for the show is how I look at it. It's, like, that's how yeah. blueprints are made. It's, like, people have to come in there and figure it out for the first time. And we sure did. And it, it really is so crazy looking back because all of us, like, came into each other's lives that, like, the perfect, like, we really all grew up together. I think back yeah. now, like, what if I had never met Manila and Sahara and they never introduced me to you? And and now thinking back to, like, looking back on everything you told me. like. And then that, when you called me for season five, who was my suggestion? Who? Roxy. <laughs> <gasps> you did give, see, back in the day, like, that was the thing because it was like, I, there were... I would call you guys and I would be like, who should I have? And yes, you told me about Roxy Andrews. So did Detox. But you were the one that told me about Roxy Andrews. And fuck, was that a good one? See? Oh my we God, I have, to have, like, I have to have Roxy when we, on here. When the girls suggest other girls, we, we deliver the gold. We you don't deliver some... We don't deliver some, like, fucking whack-ass bitch. We were, like, delivering the good girls. Like, we were, like, these are the Legends. girls that to this day have careers <laughs> so you no, know the best of the best no i that's i mean i really got them the best you know the jokingly best. willem told me <laughs> willem like i said what when was it willem told me she was like she was like you know it's just me you and latrice that are still working i was like shut up that is not true she was like chat she was like, Chad is married. She doesn't care about this traveling gig shit. She doesn't care. She was like, she was like, Fifi is happy being the Twitch diva. She, she, she's okay there. She was like, eh, Sharon. <laughs> I was like, shut She was like, it's just me, you and Latrice. And I was like, shut up. <laughs> the last three standing. Oh my God. <laughs> she was like, we're the, 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 we're, she's like, we're the three losers that are still working <laughs> Oh my God. What's something, what's a common misconception about you that you wish people knew the tea on? I want well, the biggest misconception is like a lot of people take my placement or my results on drag race as like the end all be all of who I am as a queen or as a person. And I'm like, you know, that's like an encapsulated piece of time. And it's like, and it's not even by my choice. You know, these are like, like, you know, granted, my choices are made on the show and they just piece it together. But like, if, if any given normal person, like if I had the actual time to 
to produce an actual, had I known I was supposed to be funny for that magazine, shit would have been different, God damn it. It's true, <laughs> but, but, but you know, I feel like it. a lot of people just, I think people just take drag, I want, I want people to realize that drag race is not the end all be all for every queen on that show. It is, you know, it's an introduction to who we are, but it's not the seal of, a, like, the seal that this is who we are and that's it, mm-hmm. you know? And that's the one thing. And, and what was that? Um... I'm, I'm a lot more, I have a lot of the friends, I'm a lot friendlier with a lot of the cooler girls. <laughs> Your A-list mean? rude girls. The million, the million follower, the million followed queen. <laughs> I think I'm friends with all of them, fuckers. How do they get it? Yeah, well, we were no. at the we were at the beginning. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we really were a part of like creating the show's legacy. And what was? And it now like- I'm part. And now I'm judging shit. So I was like, it's crazy. Tell me about how that feels. Tell me about how that came about. It was right after All Stars, and they asked me. They were like, "Would you be interested in like being part of Drag Race Philippines?" I said I will be. I'm willing to be part of Drag Race Philippines by any means necessary. I'm like I'll I'll be the fucking janitor if you need me to be. I don't give a shit. And, and they're like, "Would you host?" I said, "Absolutely not." Oh hell no, no. I was like, no. I was like, but anything else, like special guests, whatever, I'm down. Mm-hmm. Come to realize they wanted me to be one of the main judges for the show, so I was like, okay, cool. And and it's been fun. Get to go back again, do more, and we'll see. You should be proud of yourself. Thank you. You know, I'm glad that they they trusted me with it, considering I'm one of the most problematic girls when we were filming. Do you know that when I got back to All Star 6, they were like, check her. Make sure she doesn't have her phone on her. (laughs) They knew. Season 4, The Terror... The terror season. The fact I even made it out alive and they let me work on season five is <laughs> to say that. But after season five, they're like, no, no, that's it. They that's were the like, end. goodbye, Coco. We're cutting her. We're cutting. Detox was the nail <laughs> in the coffin. <laughs> it wasn't us considering what we did? Jesus. Oh my God. I mean, but none of that was me. Even now, looking back, no, I did nothing wrong i was a young girl also, no we also a lot of the girls we knew not to do that to you yeah because we guys, were like and that's the thing you, you guys were the always only... had my fucking back because you knew i was the only one that really cared about your well-being yeah <laughs> or that's how it, it seemed that... that's how it seemed other people cared about you but when you're in like a prison like environment like that i was your warden no, that other girl didn't care for us she oh, didn't casey. like us oh casey hated oh, Casey didn't think mama, you guys should get she... married Hello, we, she didn't like us, we didn't like her. We were like, oh man. Yeah, who hired the Republican? And then there's me, like gay as fuck, like friends with Raja, like like you guys were like, yes, Coco's the one. And Manila had prepped you. What did Manila tell you about me before driving? Oh, so Manila also, that's one thing that Manila told me. She was like, she was like jiggly. She was like, Coco Coco is my friend. She works on the show. She was like, Jiggly, if she works with you, do not give her a, a hard time, Jiggly. She's very nice. She's a good person, Jiggly. Don't be a bitch to her. I was like, she was like, be nice. And I was like, okay. I was like, if she's cool with me, we're going to be fine. 
and Cobra, <laughs> you were the only one and you were so chill about everything and I like I remember just like also specifically for me I remember this part was the day of my mom's anniversary and we had to film I literally did not want to leave my room I didn't want to leave my room I didn't want to film I was so depressed that day I just was not in the right space and then I was just like I knew also like the acting challenge was it the acting challenge I just didn't oh no it wasn't the acting challenge it was the the RuPaul songs the we had to do the infomercial yes I was just like I didn't feel like it was I don't know I just didn't feel like it I remember you just be like listen do this for me film this she was like get up today do this and I will get you caramel popcorn from Arclight That is literally how you get me to do anything on the show. But but who delivered you fucking caramel popcorn from the arc light? You did. So I was like, and as you were just like Jiggly, I promise you literally were like Jiggly, just get through this day. I promise tomorrow you will have caramel popcorn from Arc Light. I was like, okay. Sure enough, you sure did deliver. I said, <laughs> I was like. I thought you were just saying that to get me out, like to get mm-hmm. me up and be like, all right, just do this, you little bitch. No, like, and you actually came through. So I was like, and that from then I was like, I was like, oh, Manila's for real. Like she's, she's good people. And then you were also my first like solo. You were the person that came with me on my first solo like shows as a rude girl. Cause it was back to back. I did. Vegas, and then Panama City, Florida. I went to Panama City Beach, Florida with with fucking Jiggly. And I remember, I I still have an image of me and you getting ready because in Panama City Beach, that club, they have like a barn attached to uh-huh. the venue and that's where the queens get ready in. And I remember, for those listening, right after season four, I had a feeling, like, I don't know, I just had a feeling that I wanted to, I'd rather tour with the girls after the show. Like, I was more into, like, your careers after the show. And I was friends with the Queen's manager, David, who was Manila's manager, and he got me in with the Queen's, and I was like, send me He's on- still our manager. Oh. He's still our man. David, like. David, no, David, oh my God, I'm going to go to the, their Christmas party. I just got an invite. So I'll go to that. You should come (laughs) fly in. I'm in New York. How? But yeah, no, David and I, like in the beginning, he would send me with all the girls because he knew I knew how to take care of you guys from set. So it was like, it was like, it was like who better to take care of them than the girl that worked with them on set for Drag Race. So he would send me, I mean, I even like, I remember Visage being at some of the original gigs with us. Like it was like the beginning of Drag Queens touring. That's the what do you call it battle of the seasons battle of the season but yeah i remember us we went to vegas together and we met went to panama city beach florida together <laughs> which is that fucking was, crazy yeah oh my god and back then i didn't have any fucking miles yet so we were stuck in economy in the back the ass in the back. the ass oh, in no. the back and i was fought, like going to some random city yeah as as the queen's 
got more gigs, their their statuses got better. And I got to like, I remember after I, when I was touring with DWV, they were like all diamond. And I was just like living that fucking diamond life, like first class, <laughs> like getting to go to the lounges. And then when I started traveling by myself, like after the Queens, I was like, oh no. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> Back to basic economy, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> bring me back to and when you're traveling with drag queens like most of the stewardess are like gay or like girls that oh love God, drag yeah. race so they treat you like you're fucking an a-lister like uh -huh. even just me by association they'd be like oh you're with detox god we've really lived lived the life and we went through a lot i want to like wrap it up like i do want to wrap it up on a happy note but i also want to like reflect back on like how proud are you of yourself? And like, what, like, what would you say? This is a little tic tac lunchy, but like, what would you tell that younger, that younger girl? And and and, has it been like? Do you feel like your mom's watched you? Been like your guardian angel through this whole thing? I I would love to think that, and I I think that that is what's happening because, ever since then I feel like there's a lot of things that I've gone through that are kind of like gone you know I pretty much escaped death or like trouble and I feel like you know Drag Race helped me get to know myself I think Drag Race forced me to see myself at the position that I was in and what I was doing to myself at the time mm -hmm. to kind of grow up and be like, listen, this, this has to change. And then, and the drag race has done that for me a few times. Cause it was like, you know, I, I still wish that one piece that I wish that didn't change was prior to drag race, you couldn't tell me shit. You could not tell me I was not Nicole Scherzinger of the Pussycat Dolls <laughs> or Beyonce or Janet Jackson when I hit that stage. But because of the fandom, they pointed out all of my flaws. And I got to really see myself and be like, it humbled me. But mm -hmm. that, that fierceness, I'm glad that I got it back. And I'm glad that Drag Race humbled me too. But that I do think that that girl just needed to grow and everything that was going to happen for me was going to happen when it was time. Mm -hmm. Getting posed after Drag Race a few years after. Like, I remember saying on Drag Race, I'm not an actress. I would never do television. Bitch. <laughs> like. <laughs> and then you were on motherfucking Pose. So. So you know, that's the things that I was like, you know, I. It helped me grow and I'm glad that I did the things that I did because of Drag Race. And, you know, I could never, you know, I talk shit about Drag Race because I think I've earned my stripes. But I do, I'm very grateful for everything that it has given me. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and I think that a lot of it is like my mom also making sure that I'm at the right place at the right time, you know. I'm very grateful that RuPaul gave me the may I call you Jiggly. You know, she doesn't give a catchphrase to anyone. You know what I mean? Like, 
when she just like she blesses you with that bitch you take that and run mm -hmm. you know she gave me that i i that. i will forever be grateful for that because you know out of all the girls on my season who paul gave she chose me and she was like may i call you jiggly and i was like yep because she knew she knew that there was there was the world was gonna see more of you yeah, she, she knew she had a little diamond in there. She was like, she was like, God damn, that's a lot of fucking coal to get through. But she knew there was a diamond. We're going to polish her up. <laughs> she was like, you just got to chip the shit. You just got to chip, chip the shit. Oh, my God. Ah, this was so fun catching up with you. Thank you. Yes. I hope you had fun. I did. I did. I can't wait to go back to LA and see you. I know. This was, I know. And maybe we'll have to have like a, oh, cause I, after Jiggly season, we would always hang out at Willem's house cause she was the only rich one and we would have like fun pool days. So maybe next time you come and visit, let's do like a full on reunion. Let's all go <laughs> to dinner with the girls. Let's give you some brown liquor. And yes. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of Thank the woman you. that you've become. And I hope you're love proud of you, the Coco. woman. I hope you're proud of the woman I've become. Yes. I love that we all kind of just like grew up together and be like, yeah, this guy, this, like, you know, dra Drag Race forever bonded a lot of girls. And you're one of the girls that definitely, definitely have like made an impact in our lives because you took care of us, Coco. You like, you went above and beyond for us, even post show, make sure we were okay. You know, I owe you a lot for that because, you know, not everybody, you know, you y'all could have just easily been like, eh, go deal with it. But you're one of the people from the show that made sure I was okay. And, you know, when certain episodes aired, you were like, are you okay? This, this, you know, mm -hmm. you know, you, I remember also Jacqueline because Jacqueline called me the day the episode that when I broke down about my mom. She was just like, she was like, Jiggly, you know, this episode is going to air. It might bring up feelings. Mm -hmm. She was like, be ready. You know, that's I, I'm glad that I've met people like you that have made sure that kind of cultivate the the girls. And me, mainly me. So I'm very grateful for that, Coco. Thank you. <sighs> Thank you. I'm going, I'm not going anywhere, Jiggles. <laughs> <laughs> I love you so much. I can't love wait. Love you. I can't wait to see you when you come to LA. And is there anything you want to plug before we sign off? Just stay tuned for Drag Race Philippines because there's gonna be more. Yes. Yeah, I can't wait. You know. Oh my God. Well, I love, love you, you so much, and I will text you later. Love you. Bye. Shut up, Chanel. Shut up, Chanel. Ah, uh, Chanel, shut up.